0: Welcome to the Homes Politicast. We have a busy and great show for you today. A lot of stuff happened this week. The changing of the guard, as they say. We have a new president now. A new split Senate. Um, not not a lot of great stuff there. Um, but anyway, a lot of good stuff to talk about. First, I just want to start with... Uh, a little bit uh, about unity. This was the theme of Joe Biden's inaugural address. Um, I have to admit, I didn't think much of it when I watched it. Um, I didn't think it was all that impressive. And, you know, I heard people saying it was the greatest one in history and all this other junk. Um, I wasn't that impressed. I went back and I read a transcript today of it. And it's much better reading it. That's one of the things that, I have to do in order to judge something um, is to not think about who gave it and to not be biased by my feelings about a person and by the delivery. Because I'll just say that, you know, um, I'll just give you an example. The Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln is considered one of the greatest uh, speeches in American history. Uh, his second inaugural is one of the high points in history. But if you look at contemporary sources, they were not that impressed with the Gettysburg Address. Um, one newspaper writer said, after Lincoln spoke, when he wrote in the, he wrote the write-up um, in the newspaper said that the president got up, said a few words, and just generally made a jackass out of himself. I mean, it was not well-received. And one of the reasons why it wasn't well-received is because Lincoln was horribly unpopular during his presidency. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, They they blamed him for the Civil War and things like this. And Lincoln had a horrible delivery. He had a really bad Kentucky accent. He was very nasally, they say, and his voice was very high-pitched. It's not like the deep, gravel voice like Morgan Freeman or things like we think of today. So, you know, he had that Southern accent and that high pitched. So his words, you know, like Gettysburg would have been more like Gettysburg, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So I've learned that if I really want to judge a speech, I have to read it as it's written and not how it's delivered to, to really see if a speech is good. Um, and it was a good speech, I have to say. It was better than it was when I heard it delivered, because Joe Biden is not an orator. Um, it was a good speech. It was certainly wasn't a great one. It's not one of the greatest speeches of all time, nothing of that sort. But it was a good speech. And I talked about unity, and I just want to say real quick about this before we go into the news, that I'm all for unity. In many areas, I I really believe that as Americans, we should have unity in our love for our country. We should have unity in our devotion to the Constitution of the United States and things like truth and justice. These are high ideals uh, that we should have unity. We should all be in agreement that um, riots are wrong, that you shouldn't burn down buildings and and destroy people's lives, um, you know, with cancel culture or, um, you know, storming the Capitol or, you know, over the summer, the Black Lives Matters riots. Um, those are wrong. It's wrong. Injustices are wrong. Whether there are justice against people, you know, uh, racism is wrong. Things like this. I think we should have unity on those things. But the idea that we should be in total conformity with one another, is wrong. And that's, it's a dangerous thing. It sounds good to say we should all be united, but it depends on what we're united around. You know, North Korea has unity. Soviet Union had unity because they didn't have freedom of thought. So you everyone conformed to whatever the leader wanted. That's not how our system is, and it's not how our system should be. The free flow of ideas is how we become a better nation. If there hadn't been, if there hadn't been that, then we never would have gotten rid of slavery. If everybody had been uniform and said, "Well, slavery is the norm. Let's just keep it," um, things wouldn't have changed. Our entire constitution, although we shouldn't change it just for, as the Declaration of Independence says, we shouldn't make change just for light and transient causes. We shouldn't, we shouldn't change our constitution. Just to change it just because it hasn't been changed in a while and let's just do it. But it was created for amendments. It was created to be changed. We're not talking about radical social – like socialism kind of changes. But the whole amendments are to make changes, to say this doesn't work the way it should. Let's make some changes. And you get that by having differences of opinions, people being able to make a case and say this is wrong. You know, slavery is wrong. Abortion's wrong, Um, you know. uh, Sexism is wrong, Uh, you know. Whatever the cause is, whatever you believe in, that has changed over the years, you know. Um, So you can't. There will never be unity, full unity in this country, and there shouldn't be. That's why we have different political parties. Uh, The our struggle here in the United States, because we, the people are the rulers and we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be um, holding our government and our politicians accountable. That we're gonna have a constant struggle in this country and we always have and we always will between those who wanna take away our rights and those who want to preserve them. There will always be a struggle and it's gonna, it's a fine line and it's very difficult to walk, but there always will be people in our country whether good intentioned or not who want to take away our rights and there's always going to be people who want to preserve them and there will always be tension between those two you can't have unity you can't have unity between those two and i don't mean to compare them with terrorists but but it's the same principle that you can't negotiate with terrorists you you know if someone holds a gun to your head you can't just say well why don't you shoot me in the arm you know and we'll meet you halfway you can't do that you, you, there, there is no unity in theft. There is no unity in, in justice. There is no unity in between liberty and fascism. You, you can't just find common ground. If someone wants to take away your right to keep and bear arms, you can't just say, well, how about we give you – we'll give you half of it. No, you, you can't do that. If somebody wants to take away your freedom of association or your freedom of religion – you can't just say, well, we'll meet you halfway. We'll take, get rid of half our religion, but not the rest of it. There is not going to be total unity in this country ever. Like I said, there should be some things that we are united on. Absolutely. But when I hear this talk about unity, particularly among Democrats, I'm not saying Republicans never do it, but the last several years I've heard it a lot from Democrats that unity means seeing things their way. And I'm just saying that's, that's a ridiculous idea. And, you know, we can, as I said, we can have unity in some areas, but we're not going to have unity in all areas. It's just impossible to do that unless we threw out everything that we believe throughout our entire constitution, our whole former government, and just had one leader who tells us what to think, what to do, what to say, how to dress how to act, then you can have unity. And if somebody strays from that, shoot them, put them in the gulag, whatever, whatever. But we're not going to do that in this country. And so we're always going to have disunity. But uh, let me just say, I was happy. Speaking of unity, at least at least for, for this week, the Democrats were showing some unity. And I, I appreciated that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi making a reference to our beautiful national anthem, you know, not to be a jerk, but, you know, I'm old enough to remember when they claimed the national anthem was racist and, um, you know, and they told everyone to please stand for the national anthem. You know, Joe Biden and the Democrats wanted everyone to stand. A huge contrast to the football players kneeling and that was an act of patriotism and, you know, and our whole, you know, like I said, our flag our, our flag, and our national anthem were racist. And so it was nice to actually hear some them come around to the Republican point of view, if only for a day, you know, to really believe in our institutions and love our country and love our national anthem and, you know, and love our Constitution. You know, they talked a lot about the Constitution and liberty and democracy and all these great things that Republicans talk about. All the time. Uh, So anyway, let me uh, get to a couple of stories here uh, real quick. Um, Okay, speaking of the inauguration, we had – there's an article here by um, the CapCon. I always forget (laughs) what that stands for, but it's the Michigan News Source. It's rather conservative. Um, I don't know if that's what con stands for. It might be capital conservative or something. I don't know. Then it's by Tom Gantert, and he talks about Whitmer, our governor, of course, making time to go to Joe Biden's inauguration. And the headline reads, Whitmer blasted Trump's packed rallies, but now joins Biden's crowds. A conservative watchdog group Um, says Governor Whitmer violated her own COVID-19 orders when she attended Joe Biden's inauguration. The group called Michigan Rising Action stated an email memo that a January 13th order issued by the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services restricted outdoor gatherings to a maximum of 25 people. But Whitmer tweeted a photo of herself at the inauguration where far more than 25 people were present. The executive order does make an exception to the 25-person limit for voting or official election-related activities. But back in October, Whitmer criticized then-President Donald Trump for holding campaign rallies in Michigan. This is a recipe for disaster, and we have seen COVID outbreaks as a result of these rallies, said Whitmer, according to the Detroit News. I'm encouraging Michigan citizens, don't attend events like this, end quote, and end of article. But there again, we have just yet another example of democratic hypocrisy of do as I say and not as I do. And and of course, I don't know what she's doing there. I still don't understand. I thought we were having a crisis right here in Michigan. Why is she at a party? I don't understand that. I, I've said that a while now. Why is she even on the party planning committee for Biden? Um, you know, she's got enough on her plate right now. So anyway, the same the same uh, site asks the question, uh, it's more of a commentary, but I'm gonna go ahead and read it by Michael van Beek. and it says, "Will restaurants reopen February 1st?" And it says, according to the New York Times, Michigan, is one of only three states that have a statewide ban on indoor dining. Governor Gretchen Whitmer hinted this week, uh, which isn't this week, but anyway, hinted that she may modify her lockdown policies to permit restaurants to reopen on February 1st. But restaurant owners shouldn't hold their breath. The governor and her health department director would not commit to this at a press conference and offered reasons why the ban may continue. Governor Whitmer said that it is her fervent belief and hope to open restaurants on February 1st. But we've heard similar promises before. Michiganders were promised that if they behaved over the holidays and case numbers continued to decline, restrictions would be lifted well before then. For example, on December 18, the governor said she would seriously consider, consider lifting protocols sooner than January 15th if positive trends in the data continued. The governor points to three metrics that inform her decisions about restaurants, but it is difficult to find justification for her policies by looking at the data. Daily positive test results, the portion of hospital beds used for COVID-19 patients, and test positivity rates have all improved since restaurants were closed on November 18, the start of the so-called three-week pause. Cases have been trending in the right direction since November 14, and hospital bed capacity and positivity rates have done the same since the beginning of December. When asked about these figures, Governor Whitmer just added more confusion. She said there's been an uptick in positivity and in tests, and that's why restaurants must remain closed. The state's data show that the seven day average positivity rate did increase slightly from December 28, 28 to January 6th, but has fallen since then. Plus, it's about 35% lower than it was in mid November, moving it to a safer official risk level. But because the governor never says specifically how low the numbers must go to change her mind, restaurant owners have no way of planning one way or the other. And the governor provided reasons why restaurants may not open on February 1st. She warned, when you see an uptick in those numbers, often, two weeks later, you see an uptick in hospitalizations. That would mean that about the time February 1st rolls around, one of the governor's metrics may be moving in the wrong direction. When asked what needs to change between now and February 1st for her to change her policy, Governor Whitmer discussed being, quote, really concerned about, unquote, the variety of the virus that has been discovered and appears to spread more easily. She added, when this appears in Michigan, it will be a very concerning moment. If that moment arrives before February 1st, it might mean restaurants remain closed. Now, Robert Gordon, director of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, also sent mixed messages about what the future holds indoor dining at his press conference. He initially said that the reopening restaurants is something we will plan to do on February 1st, but then added, our actions on February 1st will depend on what happens with the pandemic between now and then. In other words, they may open them, but they may not also. At the beginning of the pandemic, the governor often refused to identify the specific data or metrics she was using to make decisions. That made it impossible to predict or plan on what her next move might be. But even now, when she does identify the metrics being used, the governor and her officials send so many mixed messages that it remains impossible to plan for what might come next. Michiganders, and especially restaurant owners and workers, deserve better. Oh, here it is. It's called the Michigan Capital Confidential. That's what it is a source provided produced by the Michigan Center for Public Policy. Okay, so now we solve that question. But uh, yeah, this is the problem that I've had with Whitmer from the start is that she wasn't telling us how she was basing it on all of her decisions for the lockdown and why we're going to be locked down until this date or that date. Um, she had some secret data that she was basing it on, but she wouldn't tell us what that was you know, she just said, well, trust me, I've seen the data. So now that she's made the data available, there's even more confusion. She's just speaking out of both sides of her mouth. I mean, you know, all wishy-washy. Well, they might open, but they may not. I mean, but if conditions get better, they'll open, but they might not. But we'll have to see. I mean, because it looks like we could do it, but I mean, but you know, there are other strains out there, and then we can't do it if that happens, but we may. I mean, you know, you can still kind of plan on it, but I wouldn't plan too. Because I wouldn't plan too hard because you know, you never know what could happen. I mean, it's just milly-mouthed. It's just, you know, a lot of double talk and double speak. And I, you know, so I, I have no idea. We need to get the country open, the state open again. We need to get the country opened again. And I'm. Hopefully, I'll talk about that in a second because there's something I was going to say about. Biden's first couple of days that we'll go to getting the country opened. Um, But I want to finish these news stories first. This other one, the other news story that I'm going to read is from Newsweek. And get this, this is uh, quite the headline. COVID lockdowns may have no clear benefit versus other voluntary measures, an international study shows. It's from Natalie Colarossi. And it says a study evaluating COVID-19 responses around the world found that mandatory lockdown orders early in the pandemic may not provide significantly much or more benefits to slowing the spread of the disease than any other voluntary measures such as social distancing or travel reduction. The peer-reviewed study was published in the European Journal of Clinical Investigation on January 5th, and analyzed coronavirus case growth in 10 countries in early 2020. The study compared cases in England, France, Germany, Iran, Italy, Netherlands, Spain, and the United States, all countries that implemented mandatory lockdown orders and business closures, and they contrasted those with South Korea and Sweden, which instituted Less severe voluntary responses. It aimed to analyze the effect that less restrictive or more restrictive measures had on changing individual behavior and curbing the transmission of the virus. The research the researchers used a mathematical model to compare countries that did and did not enact restrictive lockdown orders, and determined that there was quote no clear significant benefit a beneficial effect of the more restrictive measures on case growth in any country. We do not question the role of all public health interventions or of coordinated communications about the epidemic, but we fail to find an additional benefit of stay-at-home orders and business closures, the research research said. However, the researchers also acknowledged that the study did have some limitations and noted that cross-country comparisons are difficult since nations may have different rules, cultures, and relationships between their government and the citizenry. The study was conducted by researchers affiliated with Stanford University and was co-authored by, oh, and I'm going to butcher this name, Jay Bhattakaraya, a professor of medicine and economics who has been a vocal opponent of coronavirus lockdowns since March. Bhattakaraya, whatever, that guy was also among a group of scientists who wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, a controversial statement that encouraged governments to lift lockdown restrictions to achieve herd immunity among young and healthy people while focusing protections on the elderly. Um, So uh, for additional context, other studies have oppositely determined that lockdown orders have effectively saved millions of lives. So they they just have a little bit here from the other side claiming that no, it's been great. It's helped everybody, but they don't have any proof to back that up. They're just making statements. Um, let's see. Some Republican leaders, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, have vehemently opposed state or nationwide closures to curb the spread of COVID-19. In Democratic states, including New York and California, lockdown orders, had been a consistent part of the coronavirus response since March. Um, uh, let's see. In According to a poll released by Vox and Data for Progress, on December 24, more than half of Americans said they would support a nationwide lockdown for one month. But President-elect Joe Biden, in an interview in November, Said that he had no intention of implementing a national shutdown. I'm going to shut. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Biden said, "There is no circumstance which I can see that would require a national shutdown. I think it would be counterproductive." The operative word right there, in political speak, is "which I can see." That leaves him an out, so he could still do it and say, uh, "I didn't foresee that circumstance when I." agreed to it so um always listen to politicians always leave themselves an out in case things change they don't want to commit to anything um so i'll just say real quick about biden he's um i was just reading that he's going to implement the uh defense production act um i think i may have been in favor of that at one point last year i might have argue that Trump needed to do that. I'm not completely un-in-favor of it, but I have questions about it only because that it's the government taking over business. And I don't like that precedent um, where where the government steps in. I mean, they did this during World War II. FDR did this. Truman did it during the steel strike. Um, During the World War II, FDR did this. Even to movies, they—it's uh, very famous. A lot of movie studios talk about this, and uh, it's heard about with Walt Disney Company as well. That they forced them to make propaganda films. They weren't allowed to release any other films. They had to be propaganda films to uh, turn people against Hitler or be pro-American to, you know, make people support the war. But they also limited the amount of movies that could come out because. They turned the sound stages, which are huge warehouses, into um, hangars to store airplanes, to um, repair airplanes. So the military took over many of the studios and turned their um, their movie studio uh, warehouses, sound stages, into um, repair shops and storage hangars. Uh, so it's not unheard of to do this, but I didn't like it. I used to read about that, and I I never liked the government stepping in and taking over a private business and ordering them what they can put out, ordering how they have to use their resources. So even though I desperately want this pandemic to be over with, I'm struggling with the idea of the federal government being able to come in to... GM or Ford or any of these places and taking over, I mean, declaring an emergency and saying this business is ours for the next however long, and you will make this, you will, this is what you'll produce, we're going to take over, you're going to have the generals in here, I mean, that's how it was with GM, I mean, they put, the government put general in General Motors, I mean, they actually put military generals in charge in the offices, To make all the decisions, they took it away from the bosses and the CEOs and the general made the decisions about how much they were going to have out every day, how many people were hired, how many, you know, how much they're paid, all this kind of stuff. And um, it's a horrible precedent. And I'm not sure how I feel about it because I do admit that it seems like we're in a crisis mode right now. We've got to do something to get the economy going. But then I struggle with the liberty aspect of our government just coming in and dictating to people and to businesses, taking over, literally taking over their business. Now, it's true that it, that when this has done, been done in the past, they always gave it back when they were done. You know, they didn't keep it indefinitely, but you just never know. The minute you allow it, there's always that concern. What if at some point they say the emergency never ends or, okay, now the pandemic isn't The coronavirus isn't a pandemic, but now we have swine flu out there or we have, you know, something else and we got to keep the business. And so there's always that little bit of paranoia that I feel that when you start allowing the government to do these things, who knows where it'll end and when it'll end. Um, As you remember, um, we all on this show had a healthy skepticism when uh, the governor um, locked everything down uh, because it was the idea that once you turn over that power, Who knows if and when she'll return that power. And she hasn't. And unfortunately, the Michigan legislature, which is dominated by Republicans, have refused to hold her accountable. Um, The Supreme Court ruled that she could not do this. And she's continued to go away, go on with it, and ignored the Supreme Court. There should be impeachment charges drawn up immediately for Governor Whitmer for defying the Supreme Court. But. Nothing's happening. I've not heard a peep, really. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe there is, maybe there are people who are taking her on, but I've not really heard much about it at all from the legislature. Um, so, so I'm kind of torn. But this is what Biden has said now that he's been sworn in. He's saying he's going to implement the uh, Defense Production Act. Uh, He hasn't, as far as I know, or as of this taping. He has not revealed what companies he's going to take over to get this vaccine made. And uh, because I guess that's the purpose of, of taking over these companies is to turn them into factories that are going to make the vaccine so we can get more vaccines made. And then I would assume, because he alluded to this during the campaign, that he would use the military or the National Guard to distribute these vaccines all over the country. I don't know for sure if that's still the plan, but, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really torn about what we need to do about this and how we're going to get, we're going to get past this. Um, in just two months, we will have reached a year of this. And I, I can't, I can't believe it's almost been a year, but at the same time, it feels like we've been in lockdown, you know, since I was, you know, about 20 years old and, You know, which which would be about 20 years. For anybody who knows me, you'll know that uh, that'd be about 20 years. Um, You know, it feels like a long time. It seems like a long time since I've been to see a movie at the movie theater. Or, I mean, it feels like one of those things that you hear old men talk about. Like, I remember back in the day when they delivered milk in bottles. And, you know, like I remember back in the day when I used to go to the movie theater to watch a film. You know, and and all the kids are gathered around, like, really, what was that like? And, well, let me tell you. You know, um, I mean, it just feels like a long time, but at the same time, it's just hard to believe that we're still doing this a year later after the 15 days to slow the spread, you know, and all that. Um, we're still under lockdown, two months shy of uh, of our state. I, I can't speak to other states, but we're two months shy because that was in March of last year that we shut down. Um, so uh, it's just hard for me to believe that it's been already a year. We need to get everything. I mean. I'm, I'm like a broken record. I mean, just go back and listen to some of the old shows if you want to hear my opinion about this, because it seems like every week I keep repeating myself that we've got to get the economy open again. You know, we're on the edge of a Great Depression. We we have to get things going. And every week it seems like nothing changes. And I'm just completely lost. Um, and I've mentioned, I've mentioned this before. I've mentioned this before. And... Uh, I have a lot of really smart people who I'm talking to they you know we've talked about this and that is I, I just I don't know what to do about New York in California Michigan is bad I'm not I'm not saying that we're doing great uh, we're the third in that article where it said there's only three states outside of California but there's only three states that are doing the uh, this these great restrictions on businesses and they are California, New Mexico, and Michigan. So I'm not at all saying that we've been handling it well, and those other states—they're just ridiculous. Um, but I, I just don't understand with New York and California particularly. They have had draconian lockdowns. I mean, like North Korea-style lockdowns. You can't sing. You can't buy alcohol. You can't talk with the high voice with a very loud voice. You can't go to church. You can't work. You. In California, you can't walk your dog. You are now locked into your home unless you have an emergency and you have to have a doctor slip, some kind of permission slip to be out in public. Like everything is literally locked down in California. You cannot make a move outside of your house without permission. It is absolutely horrible. And yet, and yet, they are having so many deaths because of the COVID, it has gotten worse. In in Los Angeles alone, I don't know if you heard about this, but they have run out of areas to store the dead bodies. People are dying at such a rate that they can't bury them fast enough. They can't cremate them fast enough. The bodies are just lining up because people are dying so quickly. They are out of beds in the hospital. They are, you know, they are begging other states to give them uh, PPE and ventilators and these things. And you, and I'm thinking. What is going on? How are things getting worse over there? They've, they've, they've gotten to a point where you can't even breathe hardly in that state. You cannot, you know, even when they allowed you to go out to eat, I mean, you had to wear your mask. You could only move it to put the food in your mouth and you put the mask back on to chew. I mean, it was so bad. And now things have even gotten worse than they were before, before they had these draconian measures. I just don't know what's going on in those states. Those two states and every other state, including Michigan, should be looking at that with horror because, and I I don't know how this works. I I cannot find physically the physics of how this would work, but the less people are able to be around each other, the worse people are getting sick. I, I just, I can't fathom that. I mean, I can understand, I don't necessarily agree with, but I can understand the logic of saying, look, if it's spreading person to person, if you have large crowds and you have people around each other, then you're going to get more sick. I mean, I understand the logic of it. I don't know if I would agree with that, but I understand the logic that obviously the more people you're around, the more likely people are to get COVID because of, um, because it's transmitted person to person. But I don't understand the logic of you can't be around anybody, only the people in your immediate household. You can't leave your house. You can't go anywhere. You can't work. You can't sing. You can't, um, you know, you can't, do anything. And yet more people are dying now of the virus. It's just being out of control. I just, I don't understand what is going on and why states are, I mean, there are still states like Florida and uh, Mississippi and things that have very few restrictions, South Dakota. They still have cases. I'm not saying that they have zero cases. They've done no lockdowns and yet they have zero cases. They have cases, but their cases seem to be relatively minimal as opposed to New York and California. Um, I can understand maybe South Dakota. I, I do have to explain that one. The other ones, not so much, but South Dakota is very, very uh, less populated. So, I mean, in some of those areas, you know, you have a house and your your closest neighbor is literally five miles away. So I could understand maybe in, those, in that state where the numbers would be low just because Outside of church, you know, most people work on their at their house on their farms or in their ranches, and you know, they don't they don't have they you know they go to grocery shopping you know if they have to get something they go like once a month and stock up you know so the only reason they really the only time they really see each other is at church so I can understand maybe but Florida and Mississippi have huge populations and they are doing much better than these states that have lockdowns and I just don't understand it I just don't understand This virus at all. I don't understand how it formed. I don't understand how it's mutating. I don't understand how it's being spread. And that's for a different show. I could go on. I could do a whole hour on just what I don't understand and what is contradictory. And you know, and um, I could pretty much just open it up to conspiracy theories as to what everyone thinks. You know, are they are they labeling things as coronavirus that aren't? And that's what's happening. It's not that. People are dying of coronavirus. Uh, they're just labeling it that. You know, I mean, it could open up the door to a lot of different conspiracy theories, but um, you know, and I could do a whole show on that, and maybe sometime I will. I don't know, but I, I just, I'm just a complete loss. Why the more, the more you try to solve the problem, the worse it's getting. So, I really want to see this pandemic over. I'm sure I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I'm sure there are people who want to see it gone more than I do. Um, You know, and I really, really want it gone, but I'm not going to claim that I want it gone more than anybody. Um, uh, Fortunately, I've not had any of my friends or family members um, be extremely sick or die of the coronavirus. So I'm very thankful about that. I know there are people who have lost loved ones, friends and relatives, and um, and their grief is much greater than mine of just not being able to go see a movie or whatever. Um, it actually kind of feels a little selfish when I think of it like that, that I'm upset because I want to go downtown and, you know, go to a bookstore or something, and there's people who've actually lost people, and I'm whining about it. Uh, but anyway, I'm just, I'm really confused, and I don't know what to do about it. The health experts don't seem to have any clue what they're doing. And now um, Biden has brought in do- Dr. Fauci again to be his, um, you know, his go-to man. Dr. Fauci has lost all credibility, in my opinion. I don't know why you would turn to him for advice on anything, much less on the coronavirus. He was wrong all the way through, from telling us that masks won't work to the shutdown will only be. For 15 days, he also told Trump, then President Donald Trump, that it wasn't going to be as serious as uh, everyone was predicting. And then once Trump came out and told the public that, and got ridiculed, Fauci stepped back and like, I don't know who that, I don't know where he got that from. Like, you know, I've been I've been worrying about this all along. You know, he. And that that really bothers me because the president needs to be able to defend or to depend on the people giving him advice. He doesn't need people to give him bad advice and then claim later that they don't know where the president got that from. That's all on him. that That just disturbs me that, you know, he staked his reputation to Trump and said, this isn't going to be as serious as everyone's making it out to be. And then Trump believing that, believing Fauci, came out in public and said that. We don't have to worry about this. It's not that serious. And then Fauci back there is undermining him in every interview, claiming that that this is really serious and that Trump just doesn't understand the problem. So anyway, but Fauci's back. And um, so I don't have any confidence that things are going to get any better. Now, like I said, if he authorizes that Defense Production Act maybe we'll start seeing vaccinations maybe maybe the hysteria will kind of lift up you know if people are getting vaccinated you're not going to have the mass hysteria and the media maybe won't continue to um do this what people are calling scare porn fear porn you know like they seem to enjoy scaring people um you know so maybe maybe we'll start seeing some of that stop but i hope so but anyway, um, see how much time I have here. Just about done. Just about done. So, And as always, there's much more we could be talking about, but we run out of time. And it's one thing that we try to do on here is only keep it about an hour, 45 minutes, somewhere around there, um, because people are busy. We got lives you don't have all day just to sit around and listen to the rantings of, of myself, it's pontifications the brilliance, as Rush Limbaugh would say, you know, the brilliance of, of my opinion. Um, so anyway, uh, next week should be really a lot more interesting because, number one, we'll, we'll know more about some of Biden's policies. And we're going to be starting here really soon. Um, well, in the next couple weeks, Governor Whitmer, if she can find time in her busy schedule, will give her a state of the state. And, uh, you know, we'll have that to talk about. And we're going to be heading in pretty soon by the summer. We're going to start seeing Whitmer getting into campaign mode because she's up for re-election next year. And so she's going to be starting, because she doesn't have Donald Trump to blame things on and stuff, she's going to be starting to really work hard to, to do something so that she has something to run on. So we'll we'll start seeing some actual... I mean, you know, she's had pretty much a two-year vacation right now. Uh, She's she's going to start doing some work, or at least it'll look like she's doing some work. And so we'll have lots to talk about with that as it gets closer. And uh, we'll probably start seeing pretty soon some people. I mean, who are going to plot against run, plan against running against her? uh, It's not quite like on the federal level where. You know they start running for president two years before the election, so we're not going to have any indication like next month or even by the summer probably. But if you know, but if uh, but if you look closely enough, if you pay attention to the signs, you can see you'll start seeing if you're reading about local politics or state politics, you'll start seeing certain people will keep coming out into the press on the Republican side and making and being the uh, person making charges. Not not legal charges, but uh, or not criminal charges, but they'll be making charges against the governor that she's not doing enough, she's doing too much, whatever. And that'll give you an indication as to who's probably thinking about running, because they're going to want to start getting their name out there and getting people used to the idea of them taking on the governor. So it's not so it's going to seem natural then when they run for governor against her, people will automatically go like, well, yeah, he's you know he's a good guy or she's a good woman, you know. They've been standing up against Whitmer for a while now, and, you know, so w- we should start seeing some signs, but we won't have anything official. We won't really see people traveling around the state um, trying to get the Republican nomination yet. That'll be late this year, early next year when we start seeing that. Um, but the governor will absolutely, 100%, start working on her re-election campaign because she's got to start – she can't wait until – a few months before her re-election to start working, she's going to want to make it look like she's been working for a while. This is how politicians work. Now you'll start seeing her trying to get some things done, implementing policy. So, so we'll see. And then of course we'll have the midterms also by next year. So we're looking for a pretty productive year and uh, and and an interesting next year. Um, and I'll I'll share sometime my thoughts about what's going to happen in the midterms with the governor and with the uh, federal Congress. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting – we're about to have an interesting time period here. So So stick with us, folks. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating ride. All right. So anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you all uh, next week for sure, if not earlier. So bye.